So I'm going to do my top 20 most formative books. So the first, this is number 20, is A History of Civilizations by Fernand Braudel. I learned from this a lot about Aryans, the Indian case called Aryans, and I learned that Nazism is basically stupid from reading this book. Why I Write by George Orwell. This is packed full of wisdom of how it was during the war, World War II. There's so much in this book, and it's when I bought it at Books A Million. It's just a very easy classic, and it's very educational, especially telling you why why politics is basically a way of deceiving people. Horus, Odes, and Epodes. I decided to write some in this tradition of Horus's Odes, and Epodes. Found that these were Greek heroes being reflected through the common man. There's Beowulf. This is probably one of the most formative books, but it's one that I enjoy. This one was inspirational to my poetry. I decided I wanted to write poetry, but it's not the book that inspired me to write poetry. It's the book that taught me how and what themes to write my poetry in. Like, I wanted to create something like Beowulf, so I I did. I took really deep into this book's thematic elements and reasons for telling it and what its morals were, and I kind of emulated that in my own poetry. There's Conquistador. This was an excellent read. This is probably one of the newest books on my bookshelf, but it's also one of the most formative. I had learned from it that the Aztecs did a lot of crime, and very I saw a lot of parallels between the Jews' conquering of Canaan and Cortez's conquering of the Aztecs. I really appreciated seeing it. It told it from the two perspectives, how they were fighting and it told of their systems of belief and how they affected one another. Ultimately, it was a very good read because I could see very real the way that God interacted in that war and helped Cortez. It's very interesting, and that's how he wrote it. Also in Buddy Levy's Conquistador, there's a lot of first-hand descriptions of Aztec civilization, which was a huge inspiration for a lot of my work. But Bullfinch Mythology and those works, I had read this Bullfinch Mythology and derived from it characters and where it kind of lacked in information I filled it especially with Britos and the Grey that's what inspired the Britos and Grey poem was that in this there's really no information on Brito or the Grey it's just kind of very vague and I decided to fill in the gaps and created what is hopefully one of my best poems and the communist manifesto I am not a communist I despise the theory of communists and Marx it's just that I understand that Marx had diagnosed a real problem in civilization and it needs to get fixed and I don't think socialism is a fix because I think people need to work I think there needs to be a new solution a new economic system created to bear the weight of the modern man because capitalism's failing too. Then there's this one, Eric Hoffer's True Believer. This taught me about social mass movements and it basically was a vaccine against getting involved in mass movements. I would recommend this to anybody who basically needs to be inoculated from the hysteria of mass movements. It tells you all about them. I think this is some of the most quality information on mass movements there is and as Eric Hoffer says, I know it because I am one of these people and I think he is and he gives us a very real description of how mass movements are created and basically why they're destructive and sometimes in some cases beneficial but most of the times destructive after that is Machiavelli's discourses my friend had bought me the prince and I had bought Machiavelli's discourses this taught me everything I need to know about republics people the fighting between Democrats and Republicans is a good thing we shouldn't want either power to get too much authority because when they're fighting it's creating the best system for all classes involved the plebeian
Arians and the Patricians used to fight in the streets and try to allocate resources and programs and stuff like that. That's normal for democracy. And it's something we need to kind of not discourage. We shouldn't be like, oh, the left is all bad or oh, the right is all bad. We should let the two mingle and communicate rather than parse them out into their individual camps. And basically the two classes need to interact and fight it out. That's something a lot of people don't understand. Next is La Rochefoucauld's Maxims and Other Reflections. One of my all-time favorite books here. It taught me how to be a cynic. I read these as self-reflections. These caricatures, they teach me how to be a better person. A lot of people will read this and say, well, I can see it in other people. I read it and see it myself, and I try to better my character through reading this to try to cut to my own selfishness, which is kind of hard because I'm very selfish, but I'm cut to quick of my selfishness and understand that, for instance, our virtues are most often only vices in disguise. And the reason why I like that quote is because our virtues are most often only vices in disguise. And then there's A Treasury of Irish Literature, which a lot of these poems are poems I read about once or twice a week. This is a book that I come to often, and it's just my favorite type of poetry is Irish poetry. There's nothing more beautiful, more stylized, more in my type of taste than Irish poetry. I try to write some poetry that's in this tradition, although I'm an American. Hopefully I'll be accepted, though. Then there's John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress is the thing that taught me what Calvinism is. It is a great discourse on Calvinism, and it has strengthened my faith in Jesus so much. This is one of my most formative books. My most formative Christian books would be St. Augustine's Confessions, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, and this. But this is by far the most formative book outside of the Bible in shaping my Christianity. I think that Pilgrim's Progress is the best. And it's also very entertaining. I had read every note, every detail, every Bible reference to this whole book. I had just gone through everything and read all the note and the side note and read every word in this book. And it was just something that really taught me a lot about my religion. And a lot of it is just still ingrained in me to this day. It's also where I get inspiration to do the metafictions where Britos is fighting the Grey and stuff like that. Because uh, <laughs> sneakily, Bunyan had Christian fight Apollyon. So it's in that tradition. Then there's War and Peace. It's hard to know that this isn't further up on the list, but this is my favorite novel of all time. And it's so formative. This book is just a master class on the French Revolution and is packed full of just brilliant meditations on the revolution and all the things that happened in that war, especially the invasion of Russia by France. You need to read this book and once you do, you realize you are not in control and leaders aren't in control. People are in control and when there's good people at the bottom, they create good social structures. When there's bad people at the bottom, they create bad ones. We have a typical notion to sit there and blame leadership for the direction that a country goes, but in fact, there's a lot of grassroots ideology that shapes the way a country moves. Because if a, if a leader is doing something that the countrymen don't like, they'll depose them. And one of Tolstoy's famous lines is that Napoleon didn't send 500,000 people into Russia. 500,000 people sent Napoleon into Russia, wanting to conquest and get goods and steal and basically get all the spoils of war. They wanted to, and they wanted to spread democracy. Then there's Anna Karenina, which is probably should have been before War and Peace, but this is one of the best novels ever written. These two go hand in hand. It's just hands down excellent stuff. I know a lot of people get bored of it and say there's too many names, but I don't really find that 
to be a problem. I tend to get to know the characters, and this one I actually read twice. But this one is just fantastic. Like, there's so much character interplay, and it just basically sets a groundwork for why divorce is unproductive. And it's one of the greatest arguments against divorce there is. It really shows realistically how women behave who are prone to getting divorces. And it's important because we need to understand this social behavior and that it is kind of destructive and, and we kind of need to curb it. There's one part in this book, Karenin's reaction to Anna's child, but I find that to be the most realistic part of the book because Tolstoy had a lot of love in his heart. Just like Petrov in this, in this book is considered unrealistic, but I don't think they're unrealistic at all. I think they are real. It's just that there's only a very rare person who can be like that. And I think Karenin and Petrov are just rare examples of these extraordinary human behaviors that are just, they're incredibly rare and Tolstoy had captured it twice. And that's one of the things I love about Tolstoy. And this is getting to the stuff that really influenced me, the abolition of man. I come to this argument before C.S. Lewis ever taught it to me, but this argument is the one I laid down in most of my books. The argument that there is this overwhelming amorality and it's challenging basic constructs of right and wrong and how we can't change the constructs of right and wrong because they're kind of inherent. Um, and he starts off with literary theory, basically saying that you can indeed understand books and he criticizes bad literary theory and then he moves into it and launches into a discourse about moral philosophy and it, this is this little thin book is probably one of the greatest books ever written. It's just about all these books are some of the greatest books ever written but this one didn't formulate my philosophy toward Christianity but it did formulate a lot of my philosophy with regard to just philosophy in general and this is probably C.S. Lewis's single best work and I've read a lot of C.S. Lewis. I mean I, I didn't realize it until I was doing a list of things. I read a lot of C.S. Lewis which is pretty pretty cool. I didn't mean to. He is one of my favorite authors and this man right here is um, Ray Bradbury. He's a gem to listen to and Fahrenheit 451. It's basically all the good things of 1984 and all the good things of Brave New World put into one slim novel and it's really entertaining. Bradbury was an entertainer before he was a philosopher or a writer. He was someone who wanted to create interesting works and fun works, and he's one of the best authors to ever live. And this book is by far his best book, and it's the one that basically it describes a lot of the patterns we're seeing today, and unfortunately, more people need to read this book to see the patterns and to shield themselves against these things. Like, this describes all the mass movements going on right now, along with Eric Hoffer's True Believer, but this describes all of them, and it kind of says they're bad and I think generally speaking they are bad because I don't think they're really constructive or really like promoting freedom I think he was right that the challenge to censorship wasn't the government but it was the people wanting to censor and that's something he got right unfortunately it's true that this is happening and I hope we overcome this censorship now let's get into the big five these five are the most influential in all my works these are the five most influential writings in all my work all these works are influential in my writing by the way every one of these is has been a significant contributor to what I've written, but this, Great Gatsby, was the first novel, well, I didn't read it, I had my 11th grade English teacher read it to me in class. Mr. Geis was an awesome teacher, unfortunately, I wasn't the best student, and he knew that, but this book sparked my ability to understand you could communicate feeling through narrative. This is probably, this and J.D. Salinger, but I didn't like J.D. Salinger, so I didn't include it on these books. This is probably the work that single-handedly inspired the fifth angel's trumpet just the idea that you
you could communicate feeling through text. I wanted to do that. I think this book is generally, it's just the feeling of being in love. Like there is a way this book is written that it just it makes you feel like you're in love. And it's one of my favorite books for that reason. Not many books can do that. And I tried to do it with the Fifth Angel's Trumpet. Dialogues of Plato, and not just this whole book, but simply the symposium. My philosophy professor told me I had gotten the symposium wrong, but I don't think I did because I think I actually got the idea in the symposium spot on. I just think he read into it something that he wasn't supposed to. I think the symposium is building up from romantic love to the overall form of love. And that's what I believe the symposium is doing. And that's my philosophy in a nutshell is I believe that if people can find romantic love, they can build from there and understand the form of love. And that's one of the reasons why I'm a huge advocate of people finding true love and true relationships is because I think you can acquire a greater knowledge of truth by having genuine love. And he starts off with romantic love. It builds from that to an overall appreciation of what's good in the world around you and an appreciation of what's beautiful and an appreciation of what's truly blessed. And one of the reasons why Plato is so influential on me is because I had adopted this philosophy before he ever expressed it to me. I read the symposium and I understood it right away. That's what he was trying to do because there is a way you can get to universal and understand the concept of love through romantic love. Like true love with a woman, if you're a man, is going to lead you to the knowledge of love as a universal concept. That's one of the reasons why I love Plato's Symposium. Next is Sigmund Freud. This writer, again, my first encounter with him was my dad telling me about id and ego and libido, and I had read this book, probably four or five essays in this book that I've read about twice. The main idea of this book is that people ultimately want love. They desire to have love, and that's the primary drive of human behavior is to want to go out and seek love, and that's why these two are kind of paired together, because a lot of people mistake Freud for thinking, like, they get his Oedipus complex and they get it completely wrong. The idea that Freud is expressing expressing is people generally they want to go out and seek love in order to procreate in order to have companionship and this is the desire of all human beings above all other desires um, a lot of people say it's sexual it's not actually sexual it's the desire to be without oneself like a lot of people in modern psychology emphasize self-love freud emphasized the opposite freud emphasized going out and finding a cathexis or a catharsis or a love object or someone to be basically place your libidinal desires, all your energies into. And the reason why that's interesting to me is because I think that's the human drive, that's the human psychology, that's the human behavior. I think first and foremost, you need to give some of that energy to God. But I think secondly, you need to go out and find a person. As Adam and Eve says, you know, God saw that man was lonely, so he made a woman. And I think that's important that we understand that love is a very important part of being human. And that's one of the reasons why I've written so much on it in my earlier writings. Wordsworth, this book is just very formative. It taught me that poetry should be something that is read and meditated on for hours. And it's something that I think a lot of people need to be encountered with. Is a difficult poetry needs to be read five, six, seven, eight, sometimes even ten times before it's really understood. The reason for that is because poetry is something you sit, like each poem takes a amount of time of a short story or takes the amount of time of a short novel a poem is something that you read over and over and over and over and over again because it's difficult until you understand the concept and once you understand the concept it's really enriching and this taught me that and it's one of the things that I want to communicate with people is poetry is one of the greatest joys on the earth is just the idea of understanding and being able to comprehend someone else's language and to fully understand somebody else it's one of the most blessed gifts God has ever given man is the ability to communicate and understand what others are saying and it's one of the reasons
reasons why I just love this book. And finally, if you hadn't guessed it, it's the Bible. The Bible is the fundamental book of all my thoughts. All these other books are influential on my writing, but this Bible has influenced my writing more than any other book. And it is the supreme, it is the, <laughs> they say what is first is last, and what is last shall be first. What is last shall be first. I can't summarize the Bible except by saying it's the story of Israel becoming a people and failing to accomplish salvation for the earth and then Christ having to come and finish the work. That's really what the Bible is a story of. The whole book from Genesis to Revelation is a story about the redemption of Israel through the Messiah Jesus Christ. And when you understand that is the story, this Bible opens up a huge, huge volume of knowledge. You can be lost for it in days. I read, right now I'm reading the minor prophets Zephaniah Zechariah Amos Haggai and I'm just reading them over and over again I'm just like seeing even these like little teeny tiny books have so much packed information it's so much really edifying stuff and I don't believe you can be saved by reading the Bible I'm not one of those Christians that says you have to read the Bible in fact a lot of people can be hindered by reading it but I think the Bible if you want to understand and see the miracle of Christ in the Old Testament that's one of the beautiful things about the Bible is you can actually see Christ being taught talked about sometimes in the plainest terms in the Old Testament. And that's one of the greatest gifts to mankind because it ensures the knowledge that Jesus Christ is indeed the Lord and he is coming to flesh.